God, we have gathered for no other reason than to worship you, for no other reason than to magnify your great name. And God, we have gathered as a body to do just that. Lord, I pray now through the Holy Spirit, your presence here, that you would continue to be honored and glorified, but that you would teach us and challenge us. Show us in your word things that we have never seen before. Speak to us about things that we need to apply in our lives. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Good morning. If you have a Bible, Jonah chapter one, verses four through 17 is where we're at. We are in this series called Jonah. And uh, thanks for worshiping with us this morning as we seek to learn more about what it means to love God, love others, and serve the world. I have a challenge for you. Uh, yeah, if you need a Bible and uh, slip your hand up, we've got some ushers who are bringing them down the aisles. They'd love to get one in your hands, Jonah 1. But I have a challenge for you, and that is this. Could you consider committing to in-person worship on September 12th, 19th, and 26th? And uh, it's an invitation for you who are here, obviously, but it's an invitation for all those joining us online. The 12th, 19th, and 26th, we will be talking about what it means to gather as a church. What, is it, what does it mean to be a church? And then the next week we'll talk about what does it mean to grow as a believer? And then what does it mean to go and to be the hands and the feet of Jesus? And it's kind of this back to church after Labor Day, even more so this year because of the year that we've had with COVID. We just want to encourage everybody, those who are possible, if it's possible for you to gather in person as we gather as the church. We'd love to see everyone. Last week, Pastor Craig kicked off this new series called Jonah. In the book of Jonah, the fish is mentioned four times. The city of Nineveh is mentioned nine times. And Jonah is mentioned 18 times. However, God is mentioned 38 times. This entire book, though it appears to be about Jonah and though it appears to be about a fish, this entire book really is all about God. And before I go further this morning, I wanna just make this statement and that is, well, what does Jonah have to do with me? And here it is, and that is because all of us have a little bit of Jonah in us, no matter where you're at in your walk with Christ. Everything in this book points to God's sovereignty, his relentless pursuit, and his love for all people. In the Old Testament, Israel was God's chosen people. You, you might be familiar with that. They were ruled by various kings, and, and some of the kings were good kings, and some of the kings were really bad kings. And during the time of Jonah, Jeroboam II was the king of Israel. This is just a little bit of background here. They were this political powerhouse. Their borders were increasing. Their prosperity led to, to this materialistic culture, and, but it was at the expense of the poor and the oppressed. But the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, stood tall, but they abandoned God again. It was a familiar cycle in the history of God's chosen people. And in the midst of Israel's rebellion, God selects this man named Jonah from, the, from southern Galilee to bring a message of repentance to a bunch of heathens, wicked people. But where? 
not Israel, to the people living in Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of this Assyrian empire and they were enemies of Israel. Nineveh at the time was rated R for violence as the Jews were being brutally slaughtered. Jonah, instead of getting his backpack ready and and packing his lunch and saying, God, okay, I see that you're calling me to Nineveh. Nineveh, I'm on my way there. He didn't do that. He listened to the still small voice in his head that said, go west, young man. And Jonah did everything possible to get as far away from God as he could. Why? Why did Jonah run in the opposite direction that God was calling him? Did he know something that God didn't know? Of course not. Was he embarrassed? Did he hate conflict? Did he just not like the people of Nineveh? And though Israel needed a good prophetic reminder from God, they they needed it too. They needed a prophet to come to them and say, shape up Israel, you're God's chosen people. They needed it. But instead God chose to send him to Nineveh. There's an important message there. Yes, God cares and he loves his own people. He equally cares and loves and extends mercy to those who are far from him. And this reveals the very thing that Jonah hated about God. Usually when you read a major or minor prophet book in the Old Testament. It's the words of the prophet. God is speaking through them and they have this message and usually it has to do with, hey, shape up a little bit, you know? And and it's usually the words, any other one. But Jonah is a little bit different. And and as a prophet, this book is all about the prophet himself and his life. The book of Jonah opens, as you heard last week, with God saying to Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Can you imagine getting that message from God? I want you to go there and preach against them because their wickedness has come up before me. So, so the, the, the calling or the instruction from God, it didn't lack clarity. There were no loopholes in, in this instruction from God that Jonah could weasel out of. God was exceptionally clear. He said, go here and do this. What do you do when God wants you to go to Nineveh? What do you do when God's instruction is extremely clear, but you don't want to do it? When God's commands are different than what you think you should do or what you feel like doing, what do you do? So so Jonah got upset because God was instructing him to go to a place and to preach to a people that he wanted nothing to do with. So rather than go, he ran as far away from God as he could possibly go. Verse three says this, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After praying or after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So here we go. We're gonna dive into the passage for today. At first on your outline, if you're following along on version or on paper, however you're following along is this, see the storm. I want you to see the storm. Verses four through six, then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up and all the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. So Jonah gets on this boat heading literally for a resort 
in Tarshish compared to Nineveh. And Jonah's first order of business once he boards this ship is he goes down below and he takes a nap. It wasn't long before the sailors noticed, wait, someone is missing. Imagine yourself in that situation. Wind and waves like you have never experienced, so ferocious that you're certain that this is going to be your last boat ride. And what did Jonah do? He stretched, said, you know, I'm a little bit wiped. I'm gonna head down and take a little snoozer. Makes sense, doesn't it? Was Jonah exhausted from hurrying to Joppa to catch the boat? Or, or maybe it had nothing to do with the physical exhaustion as it did with his conscience? But whether it was exhaustion or guilt or his experience, he was sleeping while the rest of them were strategizing, how are we going to live? How are we gonna survive this? And at this moment in time, God had a choice. He could either just throw up his hands and say, okay, Jonah, whatever. Obviously, you don't wanna do what I'm asking you to do. You don't wanna follow me. I'll find someone whose heart is after me. I'll find someone who is willing to serve me and who's willing to do what I ask them to do. Or he cannot give up on Jonah and he chose the latter. The Lord wasn't about to let Jonah out of his sight, so he brought his presence to him. And the first four words in verse four are very key. It says this, then the Lord sent the great wind and violent storm were not by accident. Out of nowhere, God sends this violent storm, so violent that the boat felt like literally it was gonna explode into a million pieces. And even though the weather app showed zero chance of violent storms, God stirred up this doozy of a storm. And Jonah lived in this multi-religious time as we do, right? It's not unlike our own. And it was believed that these chaotic forces would reveal their power in the sea, that, that the sea would be the place where the God would win, so to speak, which is a place that, that man could not tame or control. So imagine yourself out in the middle of that. It was like this, it was like the Olympic village, if you could think of it like that. But there was only one gold medal, only one God was gonna win. And one of the ways God would make his presence known was to control the sea. And by controlling the sea, his complete authority and lordship over creation would be revealed to everyone. And it was his grand entrance into the beginning of his pursuit of Jonah. And the sailors were, were not prepared for this storm. They, they knew immediately that something is not right. And they concluded that the storm, this storm has to have a purpose in it. It was normal for the sailors to adopt their own version of a God. And so they started crying out to their God for help, little G gods, because they were afraid for their lives, of course. And so the storm was sent by God to wake Jonah and to get his attention. 
And though Jonah may have thought he had escaped God's invitation to go to Nineveh, he soon realized that God was hot on his tail. The storm was so violent, the sailors knew that if something didn't happen, they were all gonna die. And so naturally, they, they each started crying out to their own God. It quickly became this polytheistic prayer service, if you can imagine that. Each of them crying out to their God. But that's what fear does. It awakens in us a need for something or someone greater outside of self and our own limitations. So what did they do? How did they respond? They cried out to whatever they believed was their higher power. While we were on vacation, one night we had the TV on, we came across, I'll probably say this wrong, but a show called The Derechios. Maybe you've never heard of it. It's a family with 14 kids and counting is the tagline. If they asked me, I could count for them, but they're still counting. It's a family of 14 kids. During this episode we were watching, the mom of these 14 kids um, had some kind of episode, medical episode, where it looked like she was having a stroke and they were really concerned. They rushed her to the hospital and she had all these tests and only to discover that she wasn't having a stroke. Um, they didn't know exactly what was going on. But the grandma, who's often with this family, in response to her daughter-in-law's medical scare, said something like this. And it appears that this is a believing family, but the grandma said this, my God would never allow her to die or experience the lasting effects of a stroke. Friends, that is horrible theology. That is what is called health and wealth theology. That is what's called name it and claim it theology. If one ounce of what she was saying was true, then how do we explain sickness or accidents or tragedies or calamities or death or unexpected life events? Is God sovereign over your life? Yes. Does that mean we will never experience pain in this life? Absolutely not. So in the same way that God knew Jonah, he knows us. Sometimes we need storms in our life to wake us up. Sometimes we need storms in our life to shake us up. Otherwise, we would be doing exactly what Jonas, or Jonah was doing, not Jonah, sorry Jonas. Jonah was doing, sleeping through life. Comfortable doing our own thing and ignoring God. Verse five says, all the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Notice how quickly they went from crying out to their God to taking matters into their own hands, just like that. 
out of desperation and attempt to save themselves since their God wasn't doing anything in the two seconds that they allowed their God to do something who didn't exist anyway. They grabbed some of the cargo and they started tossing it overboard to lighten the load. They did what they knew to do to make it better to fix it. So crying out to God, God, I need your help. We're in a desperate situation here. Oh, sorry, you didn't answer. And if you can imagine this cargo, it was like they put their, their mitts on it, their, their hands on it, and they grabbed it and they gripped it. And that represents anything that we can control because we didn't get God enough time to do anything. Have you had times when you cried out to the one and only most high God and after two seconds you took matters into your own hands? Maybe you think you know what to do because you've been in that situation before. And so you just start grabbing cargo and tossing it. And it's that that picture of controlling. Quickly the cargo becomes the answer and not God. The answer becomes whatever you can get your, your arms around and your hands on. And we know from experience that when we toss the cargo and things are better, we say to ourselves, I fixed it. And we may not even realize that we're completely depending on ourselves. Until one day in the midst of a violent storm that God has either caused or allowed in our lives, tossing the cargo doesn't work and the storm rages on. And I know you've been there where you've been in these storms and you've learned to grab the cargo Maybe you cried out to God, but you still grabbed the cargo, this attempt to control it and make it and fix it, and it worked. And then it happens again and you do it and it works, but then it happens again and you do it and it doesn't work. And so what has become familiar to you in order to control the situation, if it's a pattern especially, and it doesn't work? And even though we know the living God who's all-knowing, who possesses all power, like the sailors who didn't even know the big G God, we run to our little G gods to find answers. And the biggest little G God we have is self. Self Self-reliance is our cargo. We become the answer to a storm that God has allowed in our lives. Storms are not the result of living a good life or not living a good life. Storms are not God's way of punishing us if we make a bad choice. In my last church, we had a sophomore in high school who attended our church well-known, popular softball player, was killed in a violent head-on collision. And it rocked our church, it rocked our community. But the dad asked me, what have we done that is so bad that God would punish us like this? If that logic is true, then we must also believe somehow we can do everything right and prevent bad things. 
back to the text, the danger they found themselves in was directly correlated to God causing this violent storm. We can't lose that. There's no other way to explain this. This idea is extremely important understanding the rest of the story, the book of Jonah. We can't jump over this too quickly. Remember, God causes and allows all things to happen. You will get sick of me saying that, but it is true, and that is a theology of God that you have to wrestle with and understand. He causes and allows all things to happen. If that is not true, then he is not God. He is not sovereign, if that is not true. You may find yourself in a tough season, but it doesn't mean that God caused it, but it could mean that he allowed it. And by allowing it, he is fulfilling his promise to use all things to work together for our good. You know that in scripture, right? He's allowing it to use all things to work together for our good and for his glory, his own glory. The only thing he cares about and the thing that he cares about most is his glory. We often never know the source of our storms. We know that the storm that Jonah was in experience was deliberately sent by God because the scripture tells us that. But in our lives, we also know that storms can show up in our lives because of the evil one who's attacking us or because we make a decision and we're just paying the consequences for our decision or God is causing or allowing it. It could come from a number of different angles and we can drive ourselves crazy trying to figure out where is this coming from. The source of the storm isn't what is most important in our lives, but rather who are we going to allow to be the God of the storm? That's what's most important. Verse six, the captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. In other words, what part of you thought it was okay to take a nap when the rest of us are fighting to stay alive? Get up, do what the rest of us are doing. He was saying to Jonah, we don't know which God has been displeased and therefore needs to be appeased. So get up, call on your God like the rest of us, let's get this thing figured out so we can live. I got a couple takeaways from this first point. Jonah believes in the one true God, but is unwilling to repent and has immense ramifications on other people. If you are a believer here this morning and you are running from God, it will have an impact on those people around you. You can't go in the opposite direction and not have it have an impact on the people in your life. Another takeaway, an unbeliever came to Jonah and told him to get up and pray. That's crazy. It wasn't Jonah who got up and said, you know what, I probably should pray. No, an unbeliever who's calling on a little G God up on deck comes and says, hey Jonah, get up and pray. Have we become so comfortable in our faith that the world finds us napping when they desperately need to know an answer. Another takeaway, it took an unbeliever to remind Jonah to see the God who actually cares. 
And that was one of the things that was driving Jonah crazy. Because they said, maybe, maybe your God, maybe he will take notice of us that we will not perish. See the storm. Secondly, stand for your faith. Verses seven through 10. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and a lot fell to Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who's responsible for making all the trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? Obviously they didn't have HR back then, right? You can't ask these questions. And he answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. So it was time to kind of ratchet it up a notch since the calling out to the gods didn't help, that didn't work. They concluded that casting lots would help them to know who's responsible. And the lot fell to Jonah. All eyes now are on Jonah as he was pummeled with question after question. The sailors were, were trying to problem solve the situation. They're trying to fix it. So Jonah knows the real answer to the real question that they're not asking. The situation they were in is a matter of theology, not what Jonah did for a living. And so while they're asking their questions, Jonah knew that it was God who was the cause of their problem. He answered, was not what they were expecting. He used the personal name of the Lord, L-O-R-D, which becomes this personal, intimate name, most likely lead them to think and consider sin. Wait, wait a minute. Jonah admits he's a Hebrew and that he worships the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land, and he gets on a boat? to run from God? Not one of Jonah's finest moments, right? I think I will run from God who made the sea by getting on a boat and heading out into the middle of the sea. I, I would say this, he is a few tater tots short of a casserole. And it's not hot dish, is it? It's casserole, right? How many casseroles? Obviously the majority. How many hot dish? Obviously casserole. <laughs> I, I mean, come on, really. I mean, when's the last time you went through a potluck line and you're standing next to somebody and said, hey, just so you know, that's a hot dish. As steam is coming off of the tater tots, right? Do you lean over to them and say, hey, just so you know, the bowl of fruit, that's a cold dish. Now I get you thinking, right? It's casserole. So he's not the smartest, right? He's out in the middle of the sea and he knows his God is the creator of the sea. He's sovereign over the sea. The sailors were terrified because they knew of God's reputation. They knew that they were also sinners. Get this. And they're out on a boat and they're in the midst of this violent storm and with God's full attention on Jonah, they knew they couldn't hide. And also they're gonna get noticed couple takeaways. Knowing God personally and intimately always makes us aware of our sin. 
It's a biblical pattern. When someone is in the presence of God, the response is always a healthy fear. Isaiah said, woe is me. When God shows up in our lives in a storm and we find ourselves stranded on a boat in the middle of the sea, we are forced to see who we are because we can't get away from it and who God is. There's no way where to run at that point and there's no way to ignore it. So the answer runs much deeper. It begs the question, what do we believe about God? See the storm, stand for your faith, own the responsibility. Verse 11 through 16, the sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it'll be calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row, here they go again, you know, row back to the land, but they could not for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord. They cried out to the Lord, L-O-R-D, all caps. Jonah's God, please Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do, do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you. Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah, threw him overboard into the raging sea and it grew calm. And at this, the men greatly feared the Lord and they, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. The men were reluctant at first, but then when nothing else was working, they cried out to the Lord, not their little G God anymore. No, they cried out to the Lord, the creator of the heavens and the earth and the creator of the sea. They picked Jonah up, tossed him overboard, it grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord and they fell down and they worshiped the Lord. Unlike Jonah, they worshiped God, his God. And the reason I say own the responsibility is because sometimes we need to recognize and admit that the struggle that is happening in us and around us sometimes is impacting others is because we are heading to Tarshish and not Nineveh. We're following our own ways and ignoring God's voice. We're resisting the Lord's work in our lives. Friends, we have to own it. We have to be honest about that. See the storm. Stand for your faith, own the responsibility, recognize the well, verse 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. As Jonah is sinking, God provides a landing place, the belly of a large fish. In normal circumstances, this would have been a feeding frenzy. But as we will see throughout the book of Jonah, nothing is for sure when God is involved. And when the call of God came to him, Jonah could not see beyond his own selfish desire for God to punish the Assyrians. God, how could you dare care about them? How could God want him to take a message of mercy to such wicked people, such pagans? And before 
Jonah could relay God's message, he had to be broken. He had to learn something about the mercy of God before he could take the message of mercy. The entire book of Jonah is a foreshadowing in a sense of the full gospel message. In the book of Matthew, the Pharisees asked Jesus for a sign in order that he might prove himself. You say you're Jesus, the son of God, prove it. And he answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. This is Jesus referring back to Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the son of man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus connected the dots between the Pharisees and the people of Nineveh. And he connected the dots between Jonah and the belly of a fish for three days and nights with his own death and burial. In the coming weeks, we'll watch the story unfold as God pours out his grace and mercy. Friends, the well represents God's saving grace. It's a picture of us being swallowed by his grace and his mercy rather than the violent sea. God's mercy will sometimes be expressed in unthinkable ways. Like a large fish in Jonah's case, are you seeing the hand of mercy? I wanna leave you uh, with one thing maybe just to wrestle with these questions this week. In what way, if any, am I distancing, meaning running or jogging or walking myself from God? How am I experiencing God's pursuit of me? And what is my plan for returning to God? I wanna close with prayer, but I wanna do it a little bit just a little bit differently because I want you to engage in this closing prayer. Not out loud, just right where you're at silently in your own heart. Let's call it a guided prayer. And I want to lead you, this won't take long, but I just want, rather than me just pray and close the service, I want you to engage with it. So if you would join me in prayer, um, here's my first encouragement for you as we go before the throne of grace, the God of all mercy. I want you to see the storm. What storm are you experiencing right now? For some it might be just a slight breeze causing some small waves. For others it might be windy causing some white caps. For others it might be a violent storm. But what storm are you experiencing right now? How quickly are you turning to your own cargo to figure it out on your own? And then when we talk about standing for your faith, what do you really believe to be true about God? Would you just, right now in the quietness of your heart, just tell him what you believe to be true about him.
And then we have to own the responsibility. Be honest about your heart. Where are you? You're not going to surprise God. Just be honest. And then we have to recognize the well. What ways are you seeing and experiencing God's hand of mercy in your life? Amen.